One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello. And Ben Roy Turner. It's getting hot in here. It's getting hot in <laughs> here, but leave on all your clothes for now for the next half hour or so. Um, because we just thought we'd have a big old discussion on the state of games as it is, but also the relationship to the way that things were across the 2000s. Now, this comes from um, all three of us looking at the trailer for X Defiant, the new Tom Clancy game. Um, just You've got to refer to it like that. I don't know if it's it's not really a full-on... <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, it's show not. It, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I, I'm playing Tom Clancy games right now, the Splinter Cell games, you know, the, uh, tr- the original trilogy. I'm not calling it a Tom Clancy game straight away. Just have, don't do you, it again. You did just finish uh, Pandora Tomorrow as well, so how does it feel for you? Yeah. Yeah. watching the x defiant trailer i'm just like i i, I get there's probably uh, a thing on a chart that goes if we say tom clancy it will probably make 10 more grand that we can mm-hmm. buy some nice socks with but at the same time just <laughs> if you book, if you're not going to use it properly then just get it, i mean I, I didn't know tom personally but he probably would have just thrown up on himself if he had seen what that was <laughs> i think it's a hell I of a party, myself yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a weird one, but we, we kind of just used that. And when me and Josh did the news video on it, the sort of reaction type thing on it, yeah. we sort of used that as a, a, a jumping off point and just sort of saying like, have games passed us by as slightly older people? <laughs> people who know, people who have these reference points for the 90s, for the 2000s, is this just what the, the hotness looks like now? Is this just what all the, the teenagers are into? The sort of the hip hop happening people? Is this just what games are going forward? And that sort of wider question of, which has been doing the rounds for a little bit, on whether or not the 2000s were actually a golden age, and we're just kind of on the other side of this uh, this peak that we managed to hit, and now we're on the other side of it. So there, there was a poll during the rounds last year, um, which I managed to find again, which is from manyspins.com, um, where they surveyed 1,700 gamers around the world, and uh, 40% of people said that the 2000s were the golden age of gaming, um, with 4% saying the 70s, so just couldn't get enough of Pong <laughs> back in the day. But um, still, <laughs> uh, going to extend the question out though as a general talking point. Do you guys agree or disagree with that general sentiment that the two thousands were a golden age of gaming? Oh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, It's such a big question. What it is? Right, it's, it's literally <laughs> the biggest question. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to cheat. I'm going to go from two thousand and five to like twenty fifteen, like somewhere in the middle there, <laughs> probably for me. I uh-huh. think that there's a there's a lot of innovation and stuff that I really enjoy from like. 2010s and like how animation just got there like i I think it's the people i'm trying to include the time when the last of us came out and kind of changed my life as a as a as a progressing human going into the world of working but um i think it's definitely got merit of being there's definitely reasons for it coming out and being that time that sort of time mass effect came out then Mm -hmm. bioshock so many other games that i can't list off right now um i think kane and lynch came out that time so you just gotta crack up all the big hitters (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to diverge to Josh and I want Josh to now whack down this point and say probably Kane Lynch wasn't that good. (laughs) Kane Lynch 2 is definitely not good. Kane Lynch 1, it's all right. It's fine. It's okay. I got that for my birthday one year. That's that's Um, the heat talking. That's the the scintillating heat talking. (laughs) 
just wait till you hear what I have to say about Resident Evil 4 and Wii. That's maybe the best version. Who knows? What was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, um, when I, when I, when I you know, we, we were talking about this question. When I look at, you know, my personal favorite games mm-hmm. of all time, the games that I always go back to, the games that I replay from a personal level, almost all of those came out after 2010, which was a surprise right. to me. You know, so I have so many games after that period that I just absolutely love. And I don't think it's a recency bias thing because, you know, some of them came out in 2010 and I still love them now. Fall New Vegas, for instance, my favorite game ever. That said, I think, you know, towards the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s, I think you just saw this like seismic shift in kind of like what games were that kind of established what games were going to be for the next decade or so. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like it's hard to pinpoint one specific golden age because, you know, video games are so relatively new compared to every other medium. medium. I think we're always constantly innovating. And while we might not be going at the speed that we were, you know, when the boom actually first happened, I still think we're going along at a breakneck kind of like pace in a lot of ways. And things are constantly changing. Things are constantly upgrading. But I think if you look at sort of, you know, the end of the 90s where you started getting like, you know, Metal Gear Solid was ushering in cinematic storytelling. You had Resident Evil, you know, popularizing like survival horror, all that stuff. You know, the jump to 3D, 3D being solidified. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there was so much going on in that era but I, don't, I honestly don't think you can fault whatever anyone chooses because there's always so much going on, always so many good games coming out. And I guess that's what we're going to pick apart today. I well, have an idea. I was just going to jump off Josh's point. Mm-hmm. I have an idea like they kind of like knew what I say they, the developers worldwide, kind of like knew what they wanted in the PS2 Xbox era as it got to the end. But they couldn't, mm-hmm. I don't think in my brain, I don't think they could realize it until they got to that next generation of the 360 and PS3. I mean, then when that, came in there for a wide swath and that became like the baseline that's where everyone then could do and realize what they wanted to make and we this is where we started to get like uh was it 2008 which is like oh my god it's so great is that the is that the super amazing year is it's like 2008 or nine like well yeah like the post bioshock year when it was just like everything was a massive deal all these different ideas of how you could do storytelling and games were being blown up i mean the industry is not really fully recovered from bioshock that idea of asking why (laughs) like why am i why is sonic getting rings why is mario you're getting coins why are you listening to the narrator like as soon as bioshock like questioned everything i feel like that sort of blew everything wide open but um yeah i think in regards to like why the two because i i mostly i think i mostly agree with it but then i think as the conversation sort of goes on i i tend to like if i'm thinking of the 2000s i'm thinking of a much bigger genre diversity across the industry overall the amount of ideas that were being greenlit with budgets and that, that were being backed by big bigger companies seems to be um there's more of them overall it seems that across the 2010s way more formulas got nailed down um, and it just became this thing, which we struggle with now, to bring, which does bring it back to X Defiant um, in regards to that it feels like only a certain amount of titles can get greenlit now. And it feels like you, it, there's just an insane amount of homogeny. And like we talked about it before we started recording, but like Josh, you mentioned Destiny. And it's like ever since Destiny's been on the scene, it's like, well, everyone's trying to chase Destiny. Um, and it feels like that's been this massive push across the 2010s. Um, which kind of was always the case in the 2000s as well. You had everybody chasing Gears of War with the cover shooter um, mold as well. But um, I tend to like sort of think of budgets and I think of like the way that, like what Ben Roy said, it felt like more ideas were getting off the ground. I don't know if that's cynical me now. Like if I really start like pinning down genres. Yeah, yeah, like like, pinning down genres that happened in the 2010s. It feels like in my head, it feels like more stuff was happening in the 2000s. Um, And even if I'm pointing to something like arcade games, arcade races, arcade sports games, from NBA Street to SSX to the Burnout series or whatever, all that stuff has just gone away so much. It's like, that's one of many sort of side genres that I feel isn't really even represented anymore unless you really go looking for it. 
Yeah, I think you're, you're right in that front, definitely. You know, we talk about it all the time if we ever do a podcast, if we ever do news about Rockstar, you know, just how many games, how many different too, games totally. and different franchises, you know, they put out over the 2000s. Like you said, some of the genres you mentioned there, um, you know, like those arcade races, you know, Spectacle Fighters, like um, Devil May Cry, God of War, like they kind of went away. Even fighting games kind of went away for like the longest yeah. time. Even now we only really have, you know, like Mortal Kombat and stuff, you know, Street Fight, like the biggies of the, like the biggest of the, of the, of the best quote-unquote best you know coming out and making a big splash whereas in the 2000s yeah you're right you know there was a whole thing you know at the start of the 2010s going into you know the middle of that decade about like the double a kind of mm. you know video game sphere just falling away like t like thq going away now the back but you know we got to a moment where it was either the blockbusters or the indies whereas in the 2000s like you said we had this middle ground and i don't want to just put my rose tinted glasses on and say that middle ground was inherently good because there was so <laughs> many stinkers and so many bad games just you know dotted around shelves that weren't great and and are the result of why it went away in the end mm -hmm. of the day but at the same time yeah i do agree that in the 2000s we just saw this kind of like explosion explosion so it's exploded so much it just spat everywhere it's this explosion <laughs> of games explosion of genres and you could pick up you know so many different titles yeah, it's just mad. Like I'm, I'm looking at like a varied list of stuff mm. on, in the 2000s. Like you started off with like Splint, not Splinter, Silent Hill two. I guess Splinter Cell one as well came out in 2000. Older, yeah, yeah. And then you get towards the end, and you're getting things like Metal Gear Solid four. I mean, you're getting Mass Effect Andromeda. Like that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I feel you, I feel you there. Where it felt like we had so much of a variety, mm -hmm. because as, as Scott was saying as well, the costs were a lot less and we hear everyone now sort of like this come up more and more that if they people are big the big money people are scared to take the big money risk because things you can't it, it used to be like you would have like three games that can make up for one game but like these one of these big games do fall over mm -hmm. there's so much of a cost risk and risk risk I don't even know I'm saying it right anymore so I'm so hot <laughs> uh, but then um, like some of these games like a big one like say I'm just gonna say theoretically like uh I don't know, Division 2, that might be around, but that might also be there to prop up other games like Far Cry. They put so much money, but they needed to make these other big profits because other little games might not bring in what the they need. The Christopher so, Nolan-style approach, like one for you, yeah. one for me kind of thing. It I sort think, of like um, holds them up sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Well, one thing I was going to like mention, because uh, we touched on kind of like, well, I want to bring in that conversation around quality control, because it feels like like the overall amount of years it takes to put a game together has, has gone up drastically. Obviously, budgets have inflated so much as well. So it's even harder to bring these different things together. And there's also the different opinion from uh, the assumed side on the business side of what a consumer wants. So it's, well, we need to aim for a certain level of graphical fidelity if we're going to be AA or AAA, and that extends development, and then different things get scrapped or whatever. There was a the whole wing of movie tie-ins that we hardly ever get anymore and um, just because of the reality of how long it takes to make a game but that used to be the case in the 2000s even if a lot of those games weren't great like you know for every lord of the rings um you know tie-in you had there was like a bug's life or like a really terrible one or whatever you watch your words but um those things as well i think the um the budgetary constraints the amount of time it took to make games um, allowed companies to put out more stuff. Like if you just, I'm not going to reel everything off, but comparing Rockstar, for example, the stuff that they put out in the 2000s, like obviously from GTA 3 to Vice City, San Andreas, all the portable titles and GTA 4, 
and GTA 4's DLC compared to GTA 5, Red Dead 2, Max Payne 3 um, across the 2010s. Like, I guess the, to roll all that together with um, the conversation on quality control, um, it feels like the 2010s became endemic of broken games. Like, there was that whole, you know, the first few years of the generation, it was just like, it didn't feel like they could bring any games together at all. And it was just, it became a thing to expect a game to be broken on launch, which we didn't have in the 2000s. Um, what's your, like, either of your general thoughts, or I guess Josh, your general thoughts on, like, the, like, now if something's coming out, I expect it to be the worst version of a game. And that definitely wasn't the case in the <laughs> 2000s. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I just want to quickly jump back to what you said before about, you know, like the explosion of genres kind of like coming mm. to a head at the end of the 2010s. Because I fully agree. I think, you know, when we look at gaming history, you know, if anyone writes like the grand book of gaming history, you know, front to back, mm. I think we'll look at the end of the 360 console generation and the start of the PS4s as kind of this perhaps butterfly effect moment for the gaming industry because we could be in such a different position right now had we continued on the path that we were on back then you know back then it was very much it is narrow view of what the industry could be it was like blockbusters are bust it was people coming out saying horror is dead no one wants to play horror single player games are dead no one wants to play single player games we need a multiplayer component for everything whether it's dead space whether it's massive well? that that's what i was getting to yep yeah. that was the fourth point they thought consoles were dead they thought mobile was the future this was the path that we were genuinely on and then the next gen came around ps4 and um, xbox one sold gangbusters and then we pivoted away from that survival horror came back single player came back we mm -hmm. got more variety in terms of art styles more variety in terms of genres so i do think we're on the path back to a potential new golden age now that we've steered away from that but going on from that to your point about like the quality of the games that did steer us into this kind of weird place <laughs> where now that everything was, you know, online, now that patches could be pushed out. I think the threshold for that quality did drop, certainly for a few years. Uh, while the video game industry just kind of flexed, um, you know, what they were able to get away with. I think that's so much of how the game in industry operates. It's just them trying to figure out what they can get away with and then, you know, reacting to it, whether that's game quality, whether that's day one patches, whether that's day one DLC, whether that's the season passes, whether that's microtransactions. They've tried all of this stuff. And I feel like they only ever course correct when that goes wrong. So that experimentation is there, just like you said, often, it's 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 a bad thing, and it results in kind of things blowing up or getting worse before they get there. Mm -hmm. Remember Project Ten Dollar when EA were literally like, "Well, you're not going to have part of this game if you bought it back from the shop. You're going to pay us our blood money <laughs> to get it." And I remember, I like, um, I, being hit with that when um playing Dead Space Free on Game Pass, like the patch didn't download properly, so I couldn't get into it and play it for a bit. It's just like this weird archaic throwback to like. What were they trying to do to get that extra money of us? Now they're mm -hmm. getting that extra $10 out of us. So unless you're buying FIFA where it's like a hundred uh, extra <laughs> on top, if you want to like there's, even yeah, have there's the, no cap for that, even have the chance. But I do agree with Josh there where I feel like it took someone like a Capcom to probably have. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sort of like moderate to sensible budgets with like Resident Evil and show that we want this sort of thing. And then being the only game in town for a while, and now we potentially get EA coming back with another Dead Space or whatever they're going to reveal to us. Mm. I, I, I hope at one point they resurrect the Dead Space account, just go, we're not going to be at this EA thing. Everyone's just coming out and telling us that we're not going to be <laughs> at any event anymore. And then you get to the point where <laughs> you just, I don't know what's going to be there. Is it just going to be another X Defiant or something like that? Like, I can't wait for... <laughs> Them to like neon spray paint on um in Dead Space and just Isaac like oh. in pink armor with a like green neon gun. I mean, sure, yeah. These days, that's that's what the kids like. But um, one of the things I was gonna, I, I guess, I kind of like springboards on from the idea, at least in my mind, of the idea of like inflated budgets and and trying to make sure on the publisher side that something is gonna make its money back. Um, it feels like there's like a notable shift in the guard. Like even on Sony side, if you look at who's in charge now, obviously Jim Ryan, um, and the fact that he doesn't really play games. Like he seems to, he just keeps coming money out with man. statements. Yeah, they're very much a money man. And it feels like a lot of money men are very much in these top positions where they didn't used to be. Um, and it's, you know, you can champion the likes of um, Shigeru Miyamoto and Phil Spencer seems to walk the line quite nicely between the two. But um, someone like a Jim Ryan is more indicative of like the Bobby Codex or the other sort of money grubbers at the top. And either it's a social media thing, it's the difference in the way that we used to, like we see all these machinations now, like, you know, 24 hour news networks mean that if something breaks, something leaks or some financial report, whatever comes out, then we see that stuff immediately and it's way more nakedly obvious the mistakes that these people are making or the um, they're not going down the line of what you know we want to see or whatever. Um, or do you think that is a notable difference? Because um, in terms of like projects that get greenlit, um, it feels like everything has to be a bankable property, whether that's a game mechanic, that's a trustable game mechanic. Like something, again, something like Ubisoft's X Defiant, there's not a single original idea in there, like other than we haven't seen a crossover of these characters before, but it's it's nothing. Like, you it's know, a shooter yeah. first with Sam Fisher's skin over it. Sam Fisher's <laughs> being once again sacrificed. With and, we've got his, mosh pit and we've got his goggles now. But like, um, if you if you just think about to like say I was saying before it's like Command and Conquer like they mm-hmm. they still made a profit but they didn't make the the big money anymore and as Josh said with Destiny like so Destiny does all the big bucks and Destiny brings people in but then so does a Fortnite so everything's gone down these two funnels and then you got say like another funnel like one or two over there and I think 
it's, it's for the most part, you know, just people chasing trends. Well, that's what I mean. And... Like it, it feels like a miracle if something yeah. genuinely original gets off the ground. Like it always feels like we have this this thing in the back of our heads going, like, well, that's a bit of a creative risk. Almost as if we're like imbued with the mentality that the the like money kind of why counters I wouldn't well. even go near Avengers because you just seem like a uh, game made in a lab seven. I mean, everything's focus <laughs> tested and everything's like that. But when it's so blatantly down to the wire I and mean, you only get a few rare things like the medium even though it didn't set the one on fire the medium was nice and different in oh, a way medium. yeah it was just like something new to come out and for the i just it's sad to see x define and i just get sad about my, my baby boy and i just want josh to cuddle me up now and just make it feel better <laughs> really I can't, my friend, because all I was going to say is that I think, you know, obviously we're so tuned into all this different stuff. We're tuned into what gets greenlit. We're tuned into the comments from the the bosses of all of these studios. But I don't mm. think much has necessarily changed. I think it might have gotten worse and maybe been, um, you know, exacerbated in some ways. But I mean, you mentioned Bobby Kotick there. I don't believe that man is ever, I don't believe that man knows what a video game is. I think he did, <laughs> he's dollar signs when he looks at Call of Duty or when he looks at Blizzard or whatever. And mm. I, he's been in charge of Activision for a long, long time. It's not like he's a figure that's new. You know what I mean? He's been, you know, ushering Activision in this direction for probably what well, decades now, you know, since easily into the 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, we just sort of become more aware of these figures, more scrutinous of what they have to say, especially when they're linked to studios that pitch themselves as gamers or whatever, like, mm -hmm. you know, Jim Ryan and PlayStation or whatever. We become more scrutinous of what they're saying, what they're playing, how they act and stuff. But that business mind, it's always been there, man. Like we talk about things not getting green light now, and that's true. But I'd argue that was kind of like, yeah, some things were risky back in the day but it was still the focus on franchises. It was still, you know, countless Medal of Honors. It was still countless Call of Duties. It was still countless um, Grand Theft Autos. You know, we got Grand Theft Autos every year, every couple of years and stuff like that. So I feel but like that's always least, to an extent. At least I do understand. Made, though, I guess like that, that would kind of be my thing. Like the idea of a Metal Gear Solid being made now feels impossible. Uh, I don't I don't fully agree. I think it's less, I think it's unlikely. I think, mm. you know, obviously it has so much stacked against it, but I still think, you know, we see interesting IP come out, whether that's Ghost of Tsushima, whether that's Days Gone, whether that's Death Strand. I know they're all PlayStation games, but you can look at, like Ben Roy said, you know, the medium or something, or turn to indie games where mm. there's so much originality, where there's so much creativity. I feel like, you know, yes, you do have to look for them. And Plague I'm not tale. saying, you know, the Plague Tale, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, I, I, Josh Brown, could walk into Sony Studios and say, oi, I've got an original game for you, back it, and then they would. Like, I'm not saying it's that easy. I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that it is difficult, but I'm saying that it's, it's probably always been difficult. But if you know where to look for them, I feel like there is still original stuff happening. No, I've, yeah, got, the... I've got a game. I'm going to go into Ubisoft, find Eves, and go, look, you see the Phantom Pain was made in 2015. Just <laughs> just take Sam Fisher's face and put it on that. And you've got something. Just put the goggles on him or do the same with the Hitman uh, layout or whatever the formula for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not that originality overall is dead. We haven't even talked about the indie revolution of the early 2010s. Like, there's obviously a lot of original stuff in there. Um, I guess my point would be that the way Metal Gear came about where it had like the backing of Konami for like, Konami as themselves have gone away. But in terms of a notable AAA studio going like this is this massive deal and um, big cinematic focus, big memorable characters, this big sort of blockbuster production. Um, one of the only analogs I can make in recent memory is Horizon, where something was like a new IP that arrived fully formed and felt like, you know, it was ready for a mass audience. Like, you know, you have you have Days Gone, you have Ghost of Tsushima, but I don't feel like they have the I don't know, the blockbuster finish of something like a Metal Gear? Well, 
this is this is the interesting thing. I wonder whether you know we pointed Metal Gear. We're all huge Metal Gear fans. Metal Gear obviously changed the industry. It was this huge yeah. original IP, but it's also one we love. Like I would argue that there are blockbusters of that level, originals being made that we just might not like as much. And like Destiny, I, I do think is mm. like huge. You know, maybe oh, not yeah, totally. as influential, but it did change the landscape. Oh. Then you've got stuff like Fortnite. Then you've got stuff like you know. Um, other games I was going to mention I've just completely forgotten. There were definitely some other games that I've just completely forgotten there, but they were mostly like Ubisoft stuff. Watch Dogs was, was like a brand old, new. Well. I'll jump in yeah. with that and say I'll defend the Bethesda publishing when we got things like the Evil Within, we got Doom returning, we got Wolfenstein returning, Prey. Going to say Prey every every podcast to get another <laughs> one, but like I feel like they were like top tier slash i guess if we, if we didn't have three tiers we had five maybe they're number four because sometimes budgets and all that sort of thing but mm. i mean like from bethesda publishing like in a few year in like a three-year period there were so many games come out there that i i personally enjoyed that i thought were uh like classic hits and like some of my all-time top like top games mm-hmm. like but even i just want to see what microsoft do, do with that next as well i guess <laughs> yeah, one thing that I'm curious about, like going forward, is like you know we've like there was that whole thing about you know 2013, the PS4, the Xbox One uh, launched underpowered. It was that whole sort of conversation around like even when they launched, they were behind um, like sort of an average PC or whatever. There's a whole conversation around that, and it eventually led to the PS4 Pro and um, the Xbox One X and the, and the S and stuff to try and bridge that gap. And the, the whole selling point being that you know like we're making these for developers, but in the in reality, it was just allowing developers to make anything that they were trying to make in 2013. Hence, like the years in between those two. Uh, consoles coming out were the most broken amount like the most broken amounts of games we've ever seen and so now that we're at a point where the ps5 and the series x or even the series s are very much capable systems and they, they can hit 60 fps and you have this raising of the bar going forward and um, can we just pick up where we left off in the very big like you know for the the first few years of the 2010s because um, like i said mentioned before there was that whole indie revolution across 2012 2013 um, you know, the likes of uh, Braid and Gone Home and obviously it led to things like Firewatch. Limbo. Um, Limbo. And like, you know, Last of Us was like a, like landed at the right time. Bioshock Infinite was 2013. You had all these massive narrative, um, narrative pushing games that also had blockbuster sensibilities about them. And they, they landed so well. But then we embarked on sort of five, six or it's ongoing years of broken AAA games where you, it's not unheard of every other week to have something that just arrives in such a knackered state and i feel like that's the thing that lets you put the rose tinted glasses on for the 2000s or it definitely does for me and um, where i look at like oh well everything everything was fine back then um, and you didn't get as many sort of half-baked things but um yeah what do you guys think of like i guess the impact of the indie stuff across the 2010s because there wasn't that level of production wasn't even a thing in the 2000s it was just games were games we didn't really think of them from smaller studios totally i think you know one of the if we, if we were talking about you know i would argue that there's so many like innovations over the past you know decade over the past 11 years that have pushed the industry forward the majority of which i might not like but the one i do kind of want to shout out is not just like the indie thing but just how accessible video game development for some people has kind of become you know you can Mm -hmm. get people now embracing the ethos of the 90s where it was a bunch of people together making doom you can get that in the indie space you know with the likes of unity or other game engines that people can you know use and totally unreal they can use it and practice their skills they can maybe put out masterpieces and in some cases they have like i love that that is happening now yes that has resulted in a lot of bad games as well but it's also you know kind of just made for this really fertile um, part of the industry where you can get so many interesting experiences that act as a genuine alternative to the triple a space you know in the 2000s yes there were indie games of course yes there were people championing indie games but it was 
quite rare to find something with the same mainstream pull as a AAA game. Now, though, it is the other side of the coin. It is people, you know, seek this stuff out. You know, people, we now have big publishers like EA doing their EA original things where they're wanting to pump a lot of money into it to mimic the indie vibe because they know there's so yeah. much goodwill about them because they mm. know a lot of people love that style. So, yeah, like I think the indie explosion that continues to this day is just like such a, a net positive for that kind of entire era. And just there have been so many of uh, no doubt our favorite games that have kind of like come from that. Mm-hmm. Ben, would you agree with the, I guess, the impact of the indie stuff? Yeah, and I can I just echo what Josh said, and I remember like the indie is it the indie store on Xbox 360, like where you'd get things like I made a game with zombies in it, or you yeah. could get or you get you get a game that vibrates the controller in certain ways for if you want to, you know, practice practice <laughs> practice some stuff. It was, um, it was a true Tuesday afternoon, he says. Yeah, yeah. it's pro- proper, you know, innovative time, I thought, in I'm gaming. Sure but um, but but um things like limbo are never forget, like obviously Super Meat Boy, like broke like through in a major way and mm. fez and stuff like that fez are people like fez are people communicating with each other like writing things down on a bit of paper and trying to fez figure so out good. what was going on like mm. you got all these like massive ones that tell so many other stories but then you got ones that i probably don't even know about and i haven't even touched and just like lurking around there somewhere like, they just and they come out so like so fast and so many of them now like they've all gone to the switch because that's where you make your money first apparently mm. and it just it it's almost like there's two levels of indie now though because then we have uh like uh i'm trying to think of i can't even think of his name because i'm just melting uh the the successor of bastion and because bastion hit 10 years old today as well you think of games like that where they're sort of like i'm also blanking but yes carry on the, no 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 the the, the one that ever hades Oh, Hades, Hades, oh, Hades, right. Hades, Hades. Like, I was like the they, basketball one? That's yeah, <laughs> it, how it's like um, an evolution of how indies have come. And I just, as I'm just going to ramble on more about it, how say, I agree with Josh, indies are great. And it's, Thing is, like, with Hades, that's a really good great. example of, like, absolutely an indie studio. But, like, it, that was on top of the Nintendo charts for, like, weeks when it finally yeah. launched on Switch, which is really great to see. Um, I feel like as well, the 2010s, like we can refer to the 2000s as this gold age because of the likes of GTA, the likes of Halo, the likes of Metal Gear. But also without the indie revolution in the 2010s, you wouldn't have that maturation period. You wouldn't have the grounding of being able to even do a Last of Us, like you know, Last of Us 2 even, or all the games that get called walking simulators, all these different things that added a whole other dimension to video game storytelling that is, I would say, obviously essential. Um, and I think that that does sort of like does elevate the 2010s in, in quite a considerable way. Um, one thing I was going to mention though, because we were on about um, before, like the idea of like, is it because we're exposed to this stuff that we think that things are quote unquote worse? And um, because of course the 2000s, we weren't as connected on social media and broadband connections and stuff like that. I wonder, this is pure theory territory, but I wonder if now, because there are so, there is so much more marketing data available that it allows the top tier companies to just scour that stuff and focus test everything to death. And something like an ex-defiant <clears throat> is very much the product of that. Um, where you can, and there's so many titles like that, like an Anthem or whatever, like you just look at all those squad shooters where it's like no team of developers with money behind them left in a room by themselves are going to come up with something that is such an identical ripoff. But I feel like the amount of data that is available um, only emboldens the number crunches at the top to go, well, that's not going to work because clearly that works. We should do that. And it leads to things like an X Define. That for me would be a, a notable quantifiable difference between the way that we used to interact with data across the, the 2000s to the 2010s. I, I, I agree, but I also would <laughs> argue again, Please not, to, 
not 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 against your point but also just saying that is i think an exaggerating an exaggeration an exacerbation mm. of stuff that started in the 2000s because you know like i still think you know the internet was still around in the 2000s yes it's not as widespread yes it's not so it's in- intrinsically tied to um you know the video game production as it is now but at the same time you know marketing's been like you know using focus tested things like using this data for decades and decades whether it's in video games whether it's in movies and stuff and yes they do have easier access perhaps to that stuff now but i still think they were ticking those boxes back in the day you know look at how many modern military games that used perks um came onto the market after um what should we call it call of duty like look how many people like you said with geese of war ripped off not only the cover system but the aesthetic you know like gray and brown aesthetic you look at mass effect 3 compared to mass effect 2 for instance mm. and that's very oh no, mass effect 2 compared to mass effect 1 sorry and that's very much being like okay well what's what's the trend i love mass effect 2 but you can tell that its art style has changed to fit how video games were supposed to look at the time in the same way that i think movies now have changed their aesthetics to look like the market leader, which in this case is MCU movies. Yep. You know, everything's kind of a bit muted, a bit gray, a bit realistic, quote unquote. So I, I feel guess, like the data has always been there. Is, is the only thing I'm trying to say. No, totally. Yeah, there's obviously always been some data there. I guess I'm talking about on mass, like algorithmic, the amount of like data that a social media account has on you that fundamentally wasn't yeah. there before 2007 or whatever. The way that YouTube has changed and the way that like you know you can look at a viewer's habits and you can look at someone's habits and gear towards that on uh, mass. But yeah, Benroy, what do you think of the that or that potential? Comment- conversation point around stat tracking data tracking being the thing that is underlying a lot of um makeshift trends uh, in the gaming I th- industry i think it's different like i think you're both hitting it on on the head in a certain way like where uh we got like a bioshock 2 and it was just like do a bioshock 2 don't get it do a bioshock 2 sort of thing <laughs> and how we get all these games now where it's like what can we throw up and like put in a a bucket and then that comes out and it's x defiant uh mm. sorry anyone that's worked hard on that I, i'm sure it's a great game but um at the, the game I'm, just, does look great I'm just i'm just some random <laughs> person really random idiot in a, in a hot box just talking about <laughs> just crapping on someone's work that they've been working on for like 20 years probably yeah. in their life but um i i think there's merit to what you're saying scott because obviously these stores have been around forever and they probably got like they they probably can track where our cursors go in the store at this point, and well, they've had that for that on the website before. You literally can, yeah, yeah. And you've, they've had that since like 360 and PS3. So they the, and Steam have had that since Gabe Newell decided he was become Gabe Newell the White, and now that's how you get the Steam Deck. So it's it just all it all just comes through uh, to the numbers at the end of the day, and I think it's I think you're both right, and I think it's been done different ways, but now I think some of us are a bit more like is this more of a formula because some of some of the things that come up aren't really our taste aren't really yeah, our well, yeah, yeah. And it's, I'm, I'm like obviously able to like um divorce those things but i think all of it's like fascinating none of this is to draw any conclusions either and um, yeah. we should round out on just like just gut check answering the question like to i guess josh first do you think the 2000s were a golden age in gaming uh i think I think, without going on a huge tangent, I think it was a continuation of a golden age, mm-hmm. but not the golden age in and of itself. I, I think it was very much a, a decade of transition as much as it was of pioneering and establishing things. The thing is, like um, the thing that Ben Roy said at the very beginning, and uh, you've like backed it up by some of the examples you've given too, and just thinking about it, I actually think it's exactly what Ben Roy said. Like it's it's the period, if you're going to knock it down to a 10-year chunk, it is 2005 to 2015, more than it's 2000 to 2010 or 2009. Um, that will be my shout anyway. Ben Roy, what's your, what would your answer be to the 2000s being a game? Well, someone so, said at the beginning of the podcast, it's 2005 <laughs> to 2015, so I'm going to... They might have done, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave them that, but no. 
I think it was definitely a good decade. I mean, we, we were coming out of the attitude era and we were trying to grow up and not be, you know, like in each other's face anymore and penis jokes. <laughs> uh, we're all get, we're all getting older. <laughs> That's your definer for the 2000s. <laughs> penis uh, jokes, isn't it? Suck yeah. it, everyone. Break it down. I'm going to say tw 2005, 2015, and I'm going to set this pot on fire. Fair enough. I think we should pass it over to the comments, uh, comments, comments, so you can come find us on social media, depending on what your thoughts are on the 2000s being the golden age for gaming or whether or not you think the 2010s is potentially better. Uh, for now, though, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Josh Brown. Goodbye. And Ben Roy Turner. Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. Goodbye. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.